Welcome to the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations Interviews podcast, a series of brief conversations with leading China experts on key issues in the Sino-American relationship. The following episode is part of our Coronavirus Impact series. For more interviews, videos, and news about the outbreak and its global consequences, visit us at ncuscr.org slash coronavirus. With most universities across the U.S. moving to remote learning, are Chinese international students choosing to remain on campus or travel back home? It's really not clear-cut. Um, I think in the near term, even not talking about after graduation, for people who are not uh, graduated yet, uh, as their campus has shut down, their decision about whether to return to China or stay on campus is still a very, very fraught one. And I think on my home campus, a few students have already left. A majority of students are left behind. They're still staying on campus. Um, as of now, the university has actually encouraged them to leave because the New York state governor has this um, new order of shutting all the cafeterias and restaurants. So only takeout food is available. So that really make all those living on campus logistically very, very difficult. And uh, what makes this, this decision very contentious is it's both very costly and risky to travel, as you can well imagine. The ticket now has amounted to um, tens of thousands of RMB, and it's extremely hard to get a ticket. I think a lot of students, especially their parents, tens of thousands of miles away, they're extremely anxious and worried. In terms of students who are graduating, let's say this year or maybe maybe next year, Chinese international students, that is. How do you think this might impact their decision between staying in the U.S. for work and returning to China? Because that's already a big decision for any Chinese international student, whether their prospects are better in China now or to stay in the U.S. And I wonder how this might play a role. Yeah, um, I think I have to make a, a, a disclaimer here that uh, my book has, has not really included anything about the virus. It was published in December 2019, so it was really prior to virus um, age. And, um, but there is a chapter in my book that is looking at this specific question in terms of their future planning. Uh, so before the virus, um, my study has shown that 60% of American, uh, of Chinese undergraduate students um, in America um, plan to return to China for work. But a majority of, um, still, a majority of them actually wanted to study graduate school here in America and then go back uh, to China. That's before the virus kick in and that's their um, planning for the future back then. So with the virus, I really don't really have any uh, sort of scientific data or evidence to, to report on. But I think it definitely will make their decision more difficult. How should we expect the pandemic to affect flows of Chinese international students to American universities? So I think in the near term, there's definitely would be some kinds of a diminishing or declining enrollments um, because of various reasons. People are not only concerned about safety, about travel, 
but also about economic downturn that totally diminished their uh, capacity to pay for the higher education. The economy for um, American, we can see that, you know, the stock market has plummeted. For the Chinese economy is also devastating. Um, a lot of uh, small business owners and they're having, they're struggling to pay for their current students enrolling in American higher education already. So I think in the near term, uh, the effect is um, pretty obvious that um, we're going to have a downturn. But in the long term, I'm not really that pessimistic. Um, I think the, the desire for American higher education is still very strong. And uh, China still has uh, you know, the largest middle class population in the world and is hungry for American higher education. Recently, there have been increasing reports of harassment of Asian and Asian American people in the U.S. Has this been a problem for Chinese international students? Yes, it has been. There has been reports um, various universities that Chinese students were shunned, they were avoided. Um, there's, there was definitely a stigma. Discussions about those stigma and uh, Chinese students' anxieties about those stigma are pretty pervasive online. And you can see that um, there are various um, examples that are widely circulated. I think students, Chinese students are very worried. And I think a lot, for a lot of the, the students, they're actually, to some extent, uh, they're caught uh, in between sort of these kinds of cross the clashes of uh, different signals that Chinese society and American society have instructed them to do. I'll give you one example. Um, in terms of wearing facial masks, there is a huge difference uh, in terms of what they're told in China. Even though for some of them, they're not physically in China, they're told by their parents. They're exposed to Chinese media, all those kinds of images and news from China. Everyone has this uh, mandate to wear a facial mask. Facial mask is gonna help you for the basic safety. But here, from the experts to the university and people around you, um, few people wear facial masks. If you're wearing it, um, people are thinking you're sick. Sociologists call that a double bind. They're called in this a double bind situation. They want to wear it because they're influenced by their Chinese community and their um, parents. Um, and some parents actually call them and uh, plead them to wear facial masks. Uh, but they're very concerned how they're going to be perceived by their American friends and their classmates and their community. And ultimately, I think as a piece of knowledge, they're very confused of what to do. How can university administration and faculty positively counteract these problems faced by their Chinese international students? What American higher education can do at this point, I think, is to provide the best support they can. I know that they're pretty stretched thing already, but still, I think it's very important to provide the kind of support they can to the current Chinese international students in various ways, academically, psychologically, socially, uh, to send a positive signal to them and their parents and um, students who are looking at the current situation, uh, thinking about their future plan in China. What I want to point out is um, oftentimes Chinese students are caught in these cross-cultural differences in behaving. Coronavirus is one specific context that, as I said, you know, in terms of the expectation to wear facial masks, that is one specific example of behavior. 
But other types of behaviors, for example, classroom behaviors uh, in terms of raising questions, how to interact with American professors, how to participate in classroom discussions. In my book, I emphasize that uh, classroom participation goes well beyond language proficiency. It's not that for some of them, probably yes, their English is the major barrier, but for a lot of them, English is not the barrier. Culture is the barrier. Education system is the barrier. That's actually what I've been researching um, in my book and it's a big part of my book is that these cross-national, cross-educational differences really uh, cause a lot of anxieties and you know, make them don't really know how to behave. So I think American higher education, their teachers, American administrators are going to be better off to know of those differences so that they can provide better support to the student. Could you give a bit more of a description or summary of your book and some of the, the issues that you bring up? Sure, yeah. My book is titled Ambitious and Anxious, How Chinese Students Succeed and Struggle in American Higher Education. One of the most important uh, themes that I want to tackle in this book is trying to uh, situate Chinese international students, especially this wave of Chinese international students that I focus on who are undergraduate students, largely self-funded, and situate them in this big context of rapid social transformation in China. I just mentioned cross-cultural, cross-educational differences. This is a generation that was born in largely 1990s and um, sort of coming into age in both China and the United States, navigating their formative years in both Chinese education system and American education system, which are very, very different. Um, I just want to give you a, a more specific example. I kind of mentioned very briefly. Now I want to delve into more detail. Let's say classroom participation. In China, even though China has undergone a lot of rapid social transformations. We're talking about this generation of only child. They're very, um, they're more individualistic than their parents' generation. Still, Chinese education and their schooling is more collectivist oriented than the American education system. So um, by that, I meant in classroom setting, for example, they're uh, not very much accustomed to speaking spontaneously to, to their teachers in class. And there is usually not very much dynamic classroom discussions compared to American education system. So even for very academically able students who are working very hard and their English proficiency is high, speaking up in class pose extremely big challenge for them. In my book, I emphasize that uh, classroom participation goes well beyond language proficiency. It's not that for some of them, probably yes, their English is the major barrier, but for a lot of them, English is not the barrier. Culture is the barrier. Education system is the barrier. So I use that as, as a way to really raise awareness about the differences that they navigate between the two education systems and they're aware the expectation here, but they're just not able to do it. And so 
that really requires a lot of patience and caring approach, uh, probably a little bit more indiv- uh, like proactive approach from American professors. So I raised some kind of suggestions, like uh, American professors can play a more active role of reaching out to some of the students uh, or conducting more small group discussions, encouraging more prepared discussion instead of um, spontaneous speaking in the classroom setting to really provide a more equitable speaking opportunity environment for Chinese students. So now that most universities have moved to remote learning, would you say that using video calls and webinars might just compound the challenges of classroom dynamics faced by Chinese students? That is a great question. I don't really know. I think that really um, this provides a great opportunity to um, collect data. And um, I think for this is, this is going to be a big challenge, not just for Chinese students, but for everyone, American students, American professors. A lot of us have no experience in online teaching. Um, and all of a sudden, uh, the virus has pushed us to make that big, big leap. Um, almost overnight. So um, it's really, you know, it really remains unknown what kind of challenges. I think everyone has challenges and the challenges are huge. Um, But what specific challenges or unique challenges Chinese international students are going to have, it's it's really a, a, a new question that I don't really know the answer for at this point. Thank you so much for answering all these questions, um, despite the rapidly evolving situation. And of course, there's not that much research out there about a lot of these issues, but thank you for offering your insight. I think your, your book is still extremely relevant and perhaps only more so given this coronavirus epidemic and how it plays into all of these issues. Thank you very much for having me. My pleasure to talk with you, Bridget. To learn more about the coronavirus and its impacts, visit us at ncuscr.org slash coronavirus or go to youtube.com slash ncuscr.